Hello, everyone, and welcome to Downsizing, the podcast where we try and figure out when the office actually ended, because everyone would have been fired. My name is Curtis, and I'll be your host. And with me is my co-host and resident office expert, Antoinette. Hey, everyone. This week, we will be discussing Season 3, Episode 16, Business School. In this episode, there is an animal in the office, Pam has an art show, and Michael gives a presentation. And the cold open for this episode kind of leads us into the presentation that Michael is giving. We find out that it is going to be at Ryan's Business School. Yes, it's kind of a weird cold open. Uh, It's sort of extended, I would say, compared to some of the others. I guess Michael has been waiting on every member of the office to be present before making this announcement. And Kevin has had a tire blowout on the highway and is running late. So when he finally arrives, Michael says, Oh good, I can tell everyone I have been asked to be this emeritus professor. He really plays the situation to be more than what it is. Which is very typical Michael. He is going over the top with what this thing is. Yes. Agree. And so Ryan says to the camera in a one-on-one, actually, he's just going to be a guest speaker at my business school class. If you bring in your boss, your grade automatically gets bumped up a full letter grade. And he sort of asked the rhetorical question, so I'd be stupid not to do it, right? To which I say, Ryan, just work hard and get the A anyways, and you wouldn't have to worry about bringing in Michael to to your business school class. That's a good point because you know it's going to be a disaster. In Michael's over-the-topness, doesn't stop at the cold open. At his actual presentation, he, like usual, just plays it up to be this big thing and has just ridiculous things planned for it. Curtis, you skipped over one of my favorite Michael quotes and a good example of him overplaying this. So on the way to business school... When Ryan is driving and sort of trying to steal himself for what's going to happen, Michael asks Ryan if there will be a situation in which people might throw their caps. Like, if he gives such a rousing speech, does Ryan think someone might be throwing their hat into the air? And Ryan's kind of confused as to why Michael would even ask this, saying, it's not a graduation ceremony. It's just a business school class. Michael's response is, well, I mean, if someone did throw their hat, I would have a really good line for that. And it's, may your hats fly as high as your dreams. Now, I personally have written that in several graduation cards since that episode. And Michael just, he just wants to be loved. He just wants to be respected. Maybe unearned. And this is his... He's already, he's already got a line ready for someone loving and respecting him, but he's not he doesn't have the actual substance ready. And you make a good point in that Michael doesn't really have the substance here that might cause someone to spontaneously just throw their hat up in the air. <laughs> Michael says that he is not there to teach. He's there to inspire these these college students. 
and he does this and he's really he just speaks in like idioms the entire time he's just pretty much rambling almost incoherently yeah nothing makes sense yeah no nothing that he says has anything to do with like the thing he just said before that or the thing that he will say after this or to someone getting an MBA. I mean, I've never been to business school, but I have to imagine this guest lecture is falling pretty short of anything useful to anyone. For sure. And the things he does to inspire just also kind of fall flat with the crowd. He first asks someone to hand him their textbook. And he starts by saying, like, he just, again, just rambles on as he's tearing pages out of this textbook. And he said, when, basically, it's just like, you empty out this book and it'll be worth its weight in gold or something. Yeah, replace it all with life lessons and right. then it's worth something. But he doesn't say what those lessons might be or how they would go about doing it. And, of course... He immediately kind of contradicts everything he just says because after he gets done ripping the pages out of this book, he gives it back to this person. He's just like, I know those are really expensive, but what I said was is worth more, is priceless. Yeah. And so he's recognizing the fact that, yeah, I just kind of wasted a lot of your money here, but just think about what I said instead. <laughs> Michael then goes on to explain that there are four types of business. And then he gives actually six types of business. But the very last category is hospitals slash manufacturing. And the majority of the types of business that he espouses are actually just retail customer service. So it probably all fall under one category. And this is something that these students have probably learned in one of their very first classes in business school. And again, it doesn't really make any sense to what Dunder Mifflin is, what Dunder Mifflin does. The last thing that Michael tries to do is sort of weirdly entice the crowd by throwing out candy bars when he says the name of a candy bar that doesn't make sense like what am i trying to say? he's so he is playing at this scenario where the business produces something he's like yeah. and it could be anything a who's a what's it or a whatchamacallit and he pulls out a whatchamacallit and he throws it into the crowd typically to an empty seat yeah and then he says you need to sell these things to make a payday and then he throws a payday in the, and then he says and if you make enough of these, enough paydays, you'll get a hundred grand. Yeah. And so again, it's not something that really makes sense. It's just a way for him to like say candy bar names. And just be like, oh, and it's it's very much more sort of like an elementary school draw, not a professional school draw. Like, oh, I threw out some candy bars. Michael is very much kind of espousing the public speaking style that he presented in phyllis's wedding speech yeah because he's essentially just like throwing out opener after opener after opener and then never really getting to the meat of the speech 
mostly because Michael is too dumb to know what the meat of the speech is. So he probably just looked up all these things on the internet and then just threw them together and that's his presentation. As Michael was starting down a road that just really wasn't going to go anywhere, Ryan suggests that he do more of a question and answer format. And this is what really trips Michael up. Prior to Michael coming to the auditorium, he's standing outside of the room, but he can see in through a window. And Ryan is giving an intro. And the little snippet that we get of Ryan's intro is him telling his class that Dunder Mifflin is a dying business and management is either unable or unwilling to adapt to save it. That has sort of primed the class for this question and answer so that the majority of the questions are really about how is a paper company going to compete in an increasingly paperless world? What are they doing? Michael also gets a very technical business question, business jargon that I don't know or understand, but Michael, it goes way over his head and he just responds with gibberish. Well, because he thinks it's a joke. He thinks the kids just be in like the class cloud and asking a question that makes no sense. When really it's just Michael doesn't know what he's talking about. So what we're seeing here is that Michael is the regional manager of this company. He does not have a formal business degree. We know he went to college, but we don't know, you know what his degree or what his background is in. And I think we know we, that he went to college because he said in the uh, season two episode about Jim's party. Oh, hey, remember back in college where the professors would come to the parties too? But then in this episode, when they're walking around on campus, he's like, oh, memories that I would have made. So we're not really sure what Michael's extended education is. That could be a show inconsistency. Right. So as question after question gets asked about, essentially, Dunder Mifflin's sustainability... Michael is starting to get frustrated. He feels like these people are attacking Dunder Mifflin. And Michael is taking this very personal because he loves Dunder Mifflin. And somebody in the class says something along the lines of, your own employee said that this is a failing business. Yeah, you'll be out of business in five to ten years or something like that. Yeah, and Michael is just kind of taken aback by this, that one of his own employees would talk badly about Dunder Mifflin. Because he prizes loyalty, blind loyalty really, above all else. And this is just a real stab to his heart. And Michael doesn't really handle this situation well. He ends up essentially just storming out of the classroom. Yes. On the ride back to the office, Michael tells Ryan to pack his things. And Ryan's like, are you, are you sure, man? Like, this wasn't meant to be personal. And Michael's response is, it's business. It's the most personal thing in the world, which is typically, which is just turning that idiom on its head that 
you know, business is not personal at all. It's sort of cold and calculated. Mm-hmm. It turns out that Michael does not have the intention to fire Ryan. He is just sending him to the annex. And Curtis, I can't tell here if this is just like a punishment sort of thing that Michael knows what he's doing here or if it's sort of a get out of my sight. I'm not sure. Yeah, it's not. It is kind of hard to read. I would think it's probably the the latter of those where you're just like, no, you don't you don't deserve to be in the main Mm -hmm. office area back with Toby. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. But Kelly is also back in the annex, and that's why it's sort of a punishment to Ryan. Right. And Michael, again, gets some kind of business acumen mixed up here when he says, good managers don't fire people, they hire people. And again, it just shows how ill-equipped Michael is to be a manager because... A good manager has to recognize when to fire someone. For sure. And when to sort of lean on people, when to sort of inspire them. And Michael doesn't have those attributes. We know he is a good salesman and he can sort of turn it on. I would not say he is a good manager. Yeah, we never really see Michael ever be a good manager. Yes. Like we do him periodically making big sales and things like that. Mm -hmm. As Michael and Ryan are out of the office, a bit of a dilemma has developed in the office. We see a shot of Dwight at the copy machine, and he just suddenly pauses and just gets this kind of inquisitive look on his face. He goes to kind of like the foot of... Pam's desk area and he finds animal droppings and this is like this just perks Dwight up like this is like what he lives for is it's kind of a weird confluence of his interests Mm -hmm. where it's it's a mystery that he has to solve it involves animals and it's happening in the office (laughs) that's true So he goes to his desk and he gets like a kind of an extendable mirror, like one that you see at like the dentist's office. Yeah, so they can see the back of your teeth. Right. And he gets that and just a little mini flashlight. And he props open the ceiling tile because he has also noticed that there is a hole in this tile. He props it open and he looks in and he says that, there is some sort of bird in the tile. And he raises the tile up a little bit more, and he discovers it is not a bird. It is, in fact, a bat. And as soon as he sees it's a bat, he just yells, and the bat flies out of the ceiling and flies around the office. Luckily, the bat makes its way to the conference room, at which point Dwight shuts the door and locks the bat in there. Stanley decides he's done for the day, heads out. And really, this episode is very light on the minor characters. We don't get a lot of scenes with them, a lot of lines, anything like that. The only line that Angela really has in this episode is where she is wearing one of those plastic hair covering things that is mostly associated with grandmothers. Mm -hmm. 
um, and she's standing outside the office and the entryway to the actual office and she's saying poop is reading from the ceilings and she is just absolutely horrified because when the bat was flying around she was on the ground like praying right. or something I think I'm not sure why if she's just very afraid of bats or if there's some sort of special meaning there Jim calls animal control and animal control can't be there until six o'clock that leads Dwight to sort of just take it into his own hands like he is figuring out different ways to trap the bat and as he is explaining to Jim why it is unacceptable that animal control can't be there until six Jim immediately sees an opening for a prank and as Dwight is talking to him, Jim moves his focus like away from Dwight and just is like rubbing the back of his neck. And Dwight says, what are you doing? And Jim's like, I felt the bat bite me, but I can't feel any marks. I'm just feeling very tingly and very powerful. And that's all that Jim gives him here. Jim just sort of is like, huh, that's weird and moves on. He's really doing a slow build of um, this prank and it's pretty it's very clever one of the ways Dwight is going to try to trap this bat is by using a box in which the copy paper would come in he's using Elmer's glue and is sort of making waves of glue at the bottom of the box and on the lid and I guess the glue is supposed to stick to the bat yeah there's no way it would work but yes i believe that that is the thought process here while he's doing that jim is standing at karen's desk and he picks up a piece of garlic bread and he drops it immediately he's like oh god this bread is scalding hot and karen is very clearly in on the bit here because she says and it's very like overacted the way she says it yeah she's like but jim this is this garlic bread like she makes sure that dwight or that she's she makes sure to say garlic bread this garlic bread is cold and dwight overhears this and he's sort of getting concerned and he just shakes his head and says one crisis at a time (laughs) phyllis has gone on her honeymoon stanley's gone for the day Andy's at anger management. So really, this is a pretty easy prank, uh, you could say, for Jim and Karen to pull off. There's not other people they have to fool or bring in on this. Later, as Dwight is explaining in a one-on-one his experiences with the supernatural, we get a shot of Dwight looking up uh, vampires and the legend of vampires on the internet, and Jim is sitting on his desk and he's sort of he's he's like messing with his canine teeth like as in like they are coming in more pronounced like they're they're becoming yeah they're well they're yes they're becoming vampire fangs essentially and he's sort of playing it up like like it's painful in a in a small way like it's noticeable to him so that he's just giving another clue to dwight and one more scene in which Karen is in on the prank as well is when she brings over ibuprofen to Jim's desk and says, here's the ibuprofen you asked for. Is everything all right? He's like, oh, thanks. The, the light from Angela's crucifix is just blinding me. 
Jim ends the day by just saying goodbye to Dwight in a very creepy way. So at this point, the bat has moved from the conference room to the kitchen area after a failed attempt by Dwight and Creed to get the bat into this glue box (laughs) trap thing. The bat didn't even fly remotely close to the box. Yeah, and Kevin closes the bat into the kitchen area. So Dwight is looking in the kitchen area as he's getting some water, and Jim just stands very closely behind him, very quietly, and Dwight just suddenly realizes he's there. And Jim is just like, I'm just going to go home, and I'm going to lie down, and I'm going to draw all the shades and just sleep for the night. And he just says, you know, goodbye, Dwight, very, very creepily. Yeah. And then he turns, and he's maneuvered his coat in such a way that he doesn't have his arms in the sleeve, and he pulls it up, and he pulls up the collar, so it looks like that very traditional vampire's cape. Right. And he's also kept his coat over his head as he's walking to his car, just in case Dwight is looking out the window, which he was, and Dwight says, goodbye, Jim, and good luck. He tells the camera that Jim is on a journey now, and that's not something he can deal with. He's got to deal with the bat. So Dwight has one last plan in motion to capture the bat. And it involves a, basically just trying to trap it in a trash bag. Now, the wrinkle to this plan is that Meredith has been in the bathroom seemingly all day trapped in there because the bat is in the kitchen area. Side note, animal control is going to be there in like maybe 30 to 60 minutes. I think Dwight's pride is just on the line at this point. For sure. So he is not going to rest until he gets this bat. So Dwight busts into the kitchen area trash bag ready to go and for some reason at this moment Meredith chooses to leave the bathroom and she runs out screaming and the bat lands on her head (laughs) and Dwight puts the trash bag over her head trapping the bat inside and eventually gets the trash bag off with the bat in it so Dwight achieves his goal in capturing this bat Maybe Meredith thought Dwight would be sort of like a decoy and she could just run out or something, but unfortunately she gets caught up in the the whole thing. Maybe. Despite all the exciting events going on at the office, Pam is gearing herself up for her very first art show. And she has invited all the people in the office and is just looking forward to showing off her art to all of her friends. One such person is Roy, and it is pretty much confirmed in this episode that Roy and Pam are back together. Yes, Pam tells the camera that her being back with Roy shows maturity, and she's not trying to be braggy, but she thinks it does. Now, we all know as the audience that Roy has been pretty lackluster in this relationship. Some credit has to be given to Roy, though, in cleaning up his act. I mean, sure, it's probably temporary, and it's 
really just to try and win Pam back. Right. But he has shown that he at least can take interest in Pam's interests. Yes. Roy does come to the art show. He brings his brother, Kenny. Before we, before we get too far here, I think it's very telling about the status of Pam and Roy's relationship when Pam is talking to Kelly about it and yeah. Pam says, yeah, we just have a really good foundation. So it's essentially, I'm going to, with what I know here. Yeah, I, this hasn't been the greatest, but she, she's not looking for a challenge. Right. And that theme actually continues at the art show. So no one from the office besides Roy shows up and Roy like pats himself on the back being like, I came and I even brought my brother and no one else from the office is here. It's really weird. It is. In the sense that like the way he says it, it's almost like he planned it. Like as Pam is telling everybody, hey, come to the art show. Roy followed that up later and just like, oh, by the way. Art show's canceled. Like, don't Sorry. Do like, it. yeah, you don't even need to come. It's 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 not even happening. And so Roy comes and just like, huh? Like the way he says it, it's like weird. None of those people are here, huh? It's such a yeah, it's such a weird line. He's just so he's just reveling in this thing, and Pam's pretty heartbroken at that. So she sees Roy out. Roy tries to get her to come back to his place. Like, we know sort of what his priorities are in the relationship. As Pam's walking back to her display, Oscar and his boyfriend, Gil, have come to the art show. Now, we didn't see Oscar back in the office yet. Apparently, he came back a couple episodes ago, but he hasn't shown up to work. (laughs) Yeah, he did not appear to be in the scramble when the bat was flying around. Yes. Oscar and Gil don't see Pam. She's behind them. And she's kind of getting ready to be like, oh, hey, thanks for coming. But Gil is commenting on the art. And he calls it motel art. He is really critical of it, saying that real art takes courage and honesty and this isn't it. And Oscar's like, well, you know, those things just aren't Pam's strong suit. And that is really ringing a bell when we think about the conversation she had with Kelly regarding her relationship with Roy and the one-on-one saying, yes, we're back together. She's not really doing an honest introspection and she doesn't have the courage to just break out of that cycle, break out of that bad relationship and try something new even if it's going to be scary and maybe take some time yeah as the art show is kind of wrapping up pam looks to be ready to take everything down and michael shows up late and he says sorry i had to come from across town and he looks at pam's art and he is just amazed at how good everything is Yes, he's really in awe and he's very moved. He's like, wow, you did this. This is so good. And to Pam's credit, these are very good drawings. I mean, yeah. the, this isn't high art by any means. I mean, she has a picture of like a mug and a stapler, which... And a bowl of fruit. Right. And so it's not 
I mean, it's it's not moving by any means, but it is very good. It's very recognizable. She has a picture of the office building and that she drew freehand, and it is very good. It's recognizable. It's you know what it is. Mm-hmm. I think that serves the purpose of what the art show was supposed to be about. We know she was taking some art classes. There was probably some sort of direction given to the art students about, hey, we're going to have this art show, or they've been given assignments probably throughout this class. Like, it wasn't like, I'm this great artist, and I have this portrait in my house, and I have this studio in my house, and I produce all this amazing art. But at the same time, these pictures are kind of a reflection of what Pam's life is in that these are the things that she knows. These are what she sees. And Pam isn't exactly worldly or anything. So like the most exotic drawings that she has are probably just buildings in Scranton. And so that kind of speaks to who Pam is in that going back to that conversation with Kelly it's a comfort level thing. It's a comfort zone. Mm-hmm. This is what I know, and this is where I'm going to live, and I'm fine with not getting outside of any of that. Yes. Michael is particularly moved by the drawing of the office building. He's had a rough day at Ryan's business school class, and like we said earlier, he sort of prizes that loyalty. So the fact that Pam would draw the building and draw his car in the parking lot is just very moving to him. And he asks her how much, you know, how much would it cost to buy this? And she's like, what? You want to buy this? And he says, yeah, we have to have it in the office. Like, this is us. And Pam is just kind of really broken down by the night so the fact that she's getting this praise from Michael and he says that he's so proud of her she just goes and gives him a hug it's one of the things that Curtis points out where he's like are these moments enough to overcome all of bad Michael and this is this is a little bit different than Michael asking people to do things for him or that people were to feel sad that he's leaving or would be excited about his wedding or whatever. This is kind of in the moment. Like that's a very nice thing for Michael to do and for Michael to say. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it's easy to forget all of that stuff in that moment and to have that kind of takeover and, you know, give a hug to Michael. And so that pretty much does it for this episode. We do see Michael hanging the picture in the office, and it will stay there, and we see it throughout the rest of the series. Yes. So with that, let's go to the annex with Antoinette and find out any fun facts about this episode. This episode was directed by Joss Whedon of Buffy the Vampire Slayer fame. It just happened to be coincidence that the episode that he was asked to direct involved a bat and sort of a vampire subplot. The bat, they had a real bat on set, but there was also a mechanical and an animated bat for the for the final take. So I wonder if the animation came in for the flying. Probably, yeah. 
Kate Flannery, who plays Meredith, that was not the real Kate Flannery when there was a bat trapped around her head with a bag over her head. That was a stunt double. Which I can understand. I don't know if that was the real bat then, if that was actually Rain Wilson. I'm actually not sure about that. But if that was a bat for real, I can understand that being sort of a trained person or someone that is paid specifically to to do that job. The business school scene and the art school scene were both filmed at Cal State Northridge, which I'm not sure how close that is to Culver City where their studio was at, Um, but I think that's really interesting that that's the school that they filmed those at. But if you think about it, they do need like a classroom Mm -hmm. sort of setting for, uh, for business school. Curtis, do you think we had any firings today? No, I don't think so. I don't think anybody gets particularly close in this episode either. Yes, I would agree. What about a Dundee? Do you have a Dundee to give out? I do. The most cultured award goes to Roy for his analysis of <laughs> the art show where he tells Pam that her art was the prettiest art of all the art. So... Roy clearly knows what he's talking about here. He has a very keen eye for these things. <laughs> very artistic. Yes. What is your Dundee? My Dundee for the best self-reflection goes to Dwight. Before Michael is leaving for his business school lecture, Michael asks Dwight, what's the best advice I ever gave you? And Dwight says, don't be an idiot. Change my life. So then in a one-on-one with the camera... Dwight says, whenever I'm about to do something stupid, I think, would an idiot do that? And if they would, I do not do that thing. And I love that quote because it used to be my ringtone. And then it became the ringtone for when my close friend from college would call because he absolutely loved that line. And he would quote it all the time, like, don't be an idiot sort of thing. Or whenever, and, and then if someone was doing something stupid... Tyler would just be like, whenever I'm about to do something stupid, I think, would an idiot do that thing? And it was just sort of a great, it's just a great memory, I feel like, of college. So that is my Dundee. Who is your employee of the month? My employee of the month is Stanley for leaving when the bat flies. Because if you were ever given like just the smallest reason to leave work, you take that 100% of the time. (laughs) Yeah. And especially since Michael wasn't there, who was going to stop him? Even if Michael was there, probably still wouldn't have stopped him. Yeah, it's not like Jim is stopping anybody. Right. Who is your employee of the month? I chose Ryan because he actually has a very realistic viewpoint on the Dunder Mifflin business. And we'll, we'll see that he does as he sort of ascends to the corporate office. He just doesn't know how to actually parlay that into something useful but he does have and is sharing the viewpoint and trying to get michael to to see the viewpoint of what needs to happen for this yeah that piece is one of a couple things of foreshadowing in this episode that play out in this season and later on in the series so ryan says that the the people that run Dunder Mifflin either aren't willing or aren't able to adapt to the changing market 
And that's pretty much Ryan's platform when he becomes like Jan gets Jan's job mm-hmm. later on. Mm-hmm. And then the whole thing about Pam not having honesty or courage that plays out later on in this season as well at the uh, beach games mm-hmm. episode. And then of course, Meredith getting the bat put on her head that plays out later on at the beginning of next season as well. And also we see that Dunder Mifflin is acquired by another company. The business was not sustainable in the long term, you know, in, in season six. So they have to adapt and the people at the top are no longer there. They're, they're sold to a completely different entity. Now, as a viewer standpoint, I will argue that's when I, I started disliking some aspects of the show because I didn't like they were messing with a good thing. We'll get there. Yeah. So that does it for this week's episode. Please follow us on Twitter at DownsizingPod to get all the latest updates. And keep listening to us on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, wherever you are listening to us. Be sure to rate, subscribe, and comment wherever you can in order to help get our name out there. We appreciate you listening to us, and we will see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.